0: What if I told you you can monitor satellite communications from thousands of miles away in your backyard using nothing more than your handheld scanner radio or your handheld VHF UHF receiver? I'm going to tell you exactly how to do that on today's podcast. All units stand 3 it now appears as though shots are being fired. All officers use caution. It has been confirmed. Suspects are armed and are firing at police. North Memphis, Signal 10, building fire, headquarters, North Memphis, single fire department, 1,000 North Broadway, towards North Block Drive, in North Albany M. Multiple explosions coming from 661, unable to get an any uh, rigs out at 667. automatically going to a How are you doing? My name is Phil Lichtenberger and I'm the host here of Scanner School and my goal here is to teach you something new about the scanner radio hobby every single week on this podcast. I've been podcasting for about five years now, teaching every single week on how to do something with the scanner radio hobby, and I have been scanning since about the time that I could crawl. So I have a lot of knowledge here in this space, and I'm trying to offload a lot of what it is that I know to you. Now, I can't do this alone though, so if there's something that I haven't talked about yet that you want to hear and you want to discuss, I'm inviting you to be a guest on the podcast by going to scannerschool.com slash guest. But let's talk today about satellite communications. What can you hear on your scanner, radio, or your home receiver from miles above in space? Well, what if I said you can listen to Brazilian pirates? That sounds interesting, doesn't it? What about the International Space Station? Kind of doesn't seem as glorious as it does when you think about Brazilian space pirates. (laughs) But yeah, you can do that. And of course, the ISS is really cool because not only can you hear astronauts, but you can hear amateur radio operators talking and making contacts. You can hear the ISS astronauts talking to students when they sometimes answer questions from students and even make contact with Earth stations here on the amateur radio band. All right, so that's some voice modes just to get your palate going for listening to satellite communications. But... What if you're into pulling things using your computer? What else can you do here? Well, you can download weather objects. Okay, so why would you want to just grab weather images from a satellite if you can just download them off the internet or see them on TV? Well, think about it this way. What if everything goes down? What if you're preparing for should something hit the fan? Or what if you just want to take this hobby a little bit further than listening to what's happening down the street, down the block, or even across the city? Yes, you can download full-color images from NOAA weather satellites and other weather satellites that are circling the globe. And the hardware and the software to be able to do so is within your reach. Some of this stuff is dirt cheap. We can also look at some stuff from the Iridium satellites, and that even means listening to or decoding aviation ACARS messages. Now, these messages are sent up to satellites and then back down again, and these are normally notifications, weather announcements, and other kinds of bulletins that are meant to be received by airplanes as they come out of the VHF range of normal ACARS messaging. All sounds pretty interesting, right? And yes, we are going to get back on how you can monitor with your receiver in your backyard some of these voice channels as well. But before we do that, let's break down the different kinds of satellites and how they orbit and what it is that you can expect and also how you can find these satellites and how you can track them as well. Because all of this is important because you have to know what's coming across overhead, how long it's going to be there for, and even where to and possibly stand or point your antenna if you have a directional antenna. Now, the first thing you have to realize here, too, is we're going to be looking at two different satellite systems here. The first one being a geosynchronous orbit. Now, just as that sounds, that basically means that it is stationary. It's in sync with the rotation of the Earth. So, that means that that satellite is always going to be in the exact same spot well, or relatively close to that same spot at all times. Think about your direct TV, your dish network, those kinds of reception, even telephone, uplink, downlink satellites. I think you guys over in Europe have the QS100 amateur radio satellite that stays put. And there's a lot of other satellites that are doing that. Mostly TV, phone, those kinds of satellites are, are big. But one of the biggest ones here, again, that we're going to look at is from the US government, that Brazilian pirates have basically hacked and are using on our dime. The other type of satellite, and the one that is more popular with what it is that we're going to be talking about later on, are low Earth orbit. That is about 2,000 kilometers or 1,200 miles above the surface of the Earth. And in other words, that's about one third of Earth's radius. Now, most of all space flights have been in low Earth orbit with the exception of the Apollo missions and whatnot that went to the moon. But no manned spacecraft at this time of recording has been above low Earth orbit. Most of our satellites are in low Earth orbit, okay? So that's typically where we are going to talk about when it comes to this stuff. Now, there's other people out there who are using some really high-tech stuff that are picking up telemetry from satellites that are way out beyond our own orbit here on Earth. They are picking up satellites that are going around Mars or even going out even further. Now, these people are obviously using bigger dishes to get the job done, but it's still really cool to think about from our own backyards using nothing more than a radio and maybe a computer that we can pull telemetry from satellites, that we can pull voices and we can pull data and we can probably pull other images too, right? But how do we know where these satellites are? How do we know when they're going to pass overhead? How do we know what frequencies to monitor? These are all important things to know too. And not only do we have software that we can put on our computers, but we have some websites online that will help us figure this stuff out. My favorite piece of software that I've been using for a better part of a decade is called Orbitron. And we'll put a link to Orbitron in the description of this podcast episode. But it's a Windows-only based program, and I love Orbitron. Orbitron gives you a really nice visual display as to where the satellites are, a little bit of information about it. You can set it up to be your screensaver. You can set it up so that when a satellite is about to pass overhead, it will send off a chime on your computer. And you can look at the Doppler effect, which we'll talk about in a little bit here but you also get the uplink and the downlink frequency that you would need if you wanted to transmit or receive that satellite. And most importantly here, you also get the footprint of the satellite. So you know how far into or out of range you are with the satellite. And most of the software and websites that we talk about will also give this kind of information. Now, for those of us who live in a Mac world or an Apple world, or for those of us who live in a Linux environment, there's also GPredict. And GPredict will be about the same thing. It's a graphical user interface that reads telemetry data or Kepler data. And Kepler data has basically all of the information required to calculate when the passes are going to happen in software. So GPredict has been around for, I don't know, ever almost, it seems like. I've always known that software to be there. In a Linux environment, so if you're using something like Ubuntu or whatever else you happen to be using, check out Gpredict. It's almost probably built into a repository that you already have. And if you're using a Mac environment, you're going to need something that uses Mac ports in order to use Gpredict. I'm not using Gpredict currently. I'm not using it on my Mac. Again, I'm using my Windows computer to run Orbitron, and again, I really do enjoy using Orbitron. It's that's definitely my go-to when I'm looking at a standard windows standalone piece of software to run a track satellites now orbitron also does have a dde engine built in and it can control different types of antennas that have i'm trying to think of the word here rotors in it so the rotors can adjust your your elevation and also your azimuth right where where you're pointed to either up and down vertically or horizontally websites that could be very helpful for you are called heavens above that's a great website where you can actually create an account and you put your latitude longitude or location and it will predict every single satellite or a certain satellite you're looking for and well it will pass overhead another one is the a-r-i-s-s webpage and even amsat.org again we'll put links to this all in the description of this podcast episode I like AMSAT.org because not only will it tell you when the passes are predicted, but you can also get a list of amateur radio satellites. And I do I recommend trying the amateur radio satellites because you're going to find more activity on those. But it also tells you the uplink, the downlink frequency, the mode of communication, and if it is actually active or not. Because not every satellite that passes overhead may be active. Some have just gone toes up so to speak they've failed or they're in standby mode some satellites are morse code only or they're only sideband there was one satellite that was working in digital only mean digital voice only i think that satellite is long gone by now but there's also some satellites out there that are experimental that are being deployed as part of a payload of say spacex or other Uh, rocket launches that are out there and even those are really interesting to track and even there was one time too they had space suit where they had a little bit of a uh, radio in there and uh, we were able to track the space suit as it was sent out from the ISS before it burnt up in the Earth's atmosphere so there's a lot of other different kinds of CubeSats that's what I was looking for there CubeSats that you can use Now, there's one thing I did forget to mention early about the low-Earth orbiting satellite that I want to go back to really quickly. And again, with software that you're monitoring or websites, you'll notice that they pass overhead, and it seems like it's every 90 minutes or so, and it seems like, right, that sometimes it's low, sometimes it's high, sometimes it's also low again. Well, why is this? Well, low-Earth orbit has to basically travel at a certain speed, at a certain height, over the Earth's surface, right, or in a certain area of, you know, the sweet spot. This means that the satellite passes overhead about every 90 minutes and it shifts itself a little bit at a time. And what ends up happening is it'll pass overhead a few times and then you won't see that satellite for maybe the rest of the day. Maybe you'll get two or three days where the satellite is passing overhead at a really great opportune time for you to use it. And other days, it may only pass overhead at night. But what's really cool, too, about some of the software that we have available to us, it will tell us if we can visually see these satellites. You know, like a little, little hot spot in the sky, a little shooting star, a man-made shooting star going across the sky, reflecting the light from the sun that we can see, sometimes with the naked eye, sometimes with the help of binoculars or a telescope, And that is something really cool too. Imagine looking up at the sky, seeing all these stars, watching a satellite pass overhead and listening to it while you're outside enjoying some time with the family. How cool is that? Well, listen, on the other side of this break, I'm going to tell you exactly what frequencies that you would need to listen to and something called the Doppler effect that we need to be on the lookout for. For anybody who's a Patreon supporter at $3 a month level, not only did you get this podcast early, but you're also going to skip this upcoming break. You can support us by going to scannerschool.com slash Patreon if you'd like to help support the podcast. Everybody else, we'll catch you all in just one second. Chances are pretty good that you shop online and buy things online. So whether it's Amazon or eBay or Scanner Master, maybe you got a new radio and you're going to buy new software from Butel. You can help support the podcast with your online purchases. If you use our support page before buying things online, you can support our show without it costing you a single cent. So before you buy your groceries, your golf balls, your socks, or maybe a new radio, software, or whatever it is. We would love it if you could use our affiliate links before you make that purchase. And this will help support the show at no additional cost to you. Go to scannerschool.com support to find out how you can help us out. Thanks again. Do you feel lost when it comes to the scanner hobby? Are you looking for someone to answer your questions? Do you have a new radio and you need help understanding how it works? Or are you working on a big project and need somebody to bounce ideas off of? Do you need a little bit more personal assistance than what you can get from an online community? And are you looking for somebody to dedicate their attention and their time to helping you out when it comes to getting you unstuck with whatever it is that you are struggling with when it comes to the scanner radio hobby? I'm here to do just that. See, you can book me for a session right now where I'll sit on Zoom and do a video or a screen share with you just as if I am sitting across the table and helping you out. You can book your tutoring session right now by going to ScannerSchool.com tutoring. I can't wait to help you out. Unication's G2 to G5 pagers are great additions to your radio collection. Not only can they alert you with two-tone pager activations, but they can also monitor your local P25 simulcast systems that many scanner radios have problems receiving. And of course, many of our scanner school listeners are happily using their Unication pagers to scan their local trunk systems. How do I know? Because they've reached out to tell me. My company, East Coast Pagers, is an authorized Unication, Swiss phone, and Apollo pager dealer. We not only support departments and agencies, but also the home hobby user as well. Find us online at eastcoastpagers.com. So what frequencies do we have to listen to in order to receive these satellites? Well, each satellite might have a different frequency. And again, all of this information is in the Kepler data for each satellite. Now again, if we're using software like GPredict or Orbitron or websites like ARISS or Heavens Above or even AMSET, we have the frequencies listed there as well. And we'll currently see two frequencies listed. There'll be an uplink and a downlink. And what is the difference between uplink and downlink? Well, uplink would be the frequency that a ground station uses to transmit up to the satellite. That's our transmit frequency. The downlink frequency is the frequency that the satellite would transmit at, or would repeat the signal on. And that is the frequency that we want to monitor on our radios. So when we're looking at satellites, we are looking at downlink. But what about this Doppler effect? Because the Doppler effect changes our uplink and downlink frequency. And what is the Doppler effect? Well, the Doppler effect, without getting too scientific here, is basically summarized as the compression of sound waves and the relaxation of sound waves as things move away from us. This is why, for example, if we listen to an ambulance coming towards us or a police car, something like that, with a siren blaring, right, it seems to get louder and louder as it comes towards us, right? But as soon as that ambulance gets past us and is driving away from us, all of a sudden, not only is it getting quieter, but we've noticed now that the frequency, right, or the tone of that siren is now not as high-pitched as it once was. As it's driving away from us, it is slowly getting a lower and lower pitch that's about as low as i can go but now you understand right what typically what doppler effect is well the same thing happens when a satellite is coming towards us basically coming over the earth's surface hitting its zenith and then setting itself right on the outskirt of its path or the exit path right so, what ends up happening is we need to tune our scanners or our receivers, if we're on UHF, by the way, a little bit higher than the actual published receive frequency. And then we got to slowly tune downwards, eventually getting to the true downlink frequency. And then as the satellite passes its zenith or its highest point and starts traveling away from us, we need to then start tuning our receivers a little bit lower than the received frequency. And again, all of this can be tracked and done through software. And in fact, again, Orbitron may have the ability to control your radio and start sending those commands. So as the satellite comes up, down, it can detune your radio. Now, if you're looking at doing this with software-defined radios, stick around as well, because I have software that will automatically tune your SDR for you, which is absolutely awesome when you think about it. So what kind of hardware do we need here? Again, we just kind of talked about software-defined radios, but we're going to table that for a second here. Yes, again, I'm trying to hook you on here. For our own purpose, just to get started, you have everything you need. Or you might have everything you need. I really enjoy sitting outside with my handheld radio and just tuning to the downlink frequency and seeing if I can receive a satellite. It's really cool just to be able to sit there and say, wow, that's passing overhead right now. It's even cooler when you're using your transceiver and you're transmitting through that satellite and somebody is coming back to you. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's really cool that when that happens. But... Just be able to sit there and receive something in your backyard using a handheld radio is the bee's knees. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But for those of you that have a desktop radio and don't have a handheld, guess what? You can still use that radio and your outdoor or your chimney antenna or your attic antenna or maybe, yes, even the antenna on the back of your radio on your kitchen counter or whatever else it might happen to be to receive the satellites. Now, it's going to be better with an outdoor antenna, way better if you have an outdoor antenna. So I really really would recommend you at least getting the antenna outdoors. But on a really good pass, you could use the antenna indoors. If you want to go one step further than that, you can buy what's called an arrow antenna. An arrow antenna is basically two Yagi antennas on a 90-degree phase on a boom, a stick, And you can hold this antenna in your hands and you can point that antenna towards the satellite. Now, the Yagi antenna has got some decent gain on it, which means you will be able to hear these satellites much better than if you're just using your antenna on your house or on top of the radio. But what if you want an antenna on your house that you can use that you don't have to point around anywhere? You could use what's called an egg beater antenna. Which is basically two circles in 90 degree phases that are up and down vertically, basically, and they can receive pretty well from the heavens above. And there's even another one, I forget the name of it right now. It's like a helix type of setup here, where you've got, I believe it's through uh, four four elements, basically, but they twist, right? Instead of going straight up and down, they kind of twist on a 90 degree. And it takes the polarity basically, even even the egg beater takes the polarity out of the signal because again, we are receiving with a vertical horizontal antenna typically, but the satellites are kind of tumbling a little bit and they are circularly polarized to kind of get around that whole idea that they're moving around in space with the exception of the ISS, of course. So some of those antennas, they are expensive. You can build them at home, but just to keep costs down, again, Use what you have at your disposal today to get this done. And if you really want to go full out, especially if you want to pick up the weather satellites, you can buy a dish antenna, a mesh dish antenna, for about 100 bucks on Amazon. I'll put a link to that also in the description. And if you want to use that link, that's our Amazon Associates link, which means if you use that link for anything on Amazon, we will earn a small commission. So go ahead and buy your underwear, your socks, your golf balls, I don't know, whatever else it happens to be that you happen to buy at Amazon, in addition to or in place of (laughs) that satellite antenna. And that will help support scanner school. So, what kind of radio do we need to get started with here? Look, yeah, you could use your Baofeng radio. You could. But a scanner radio would work great in this because it allows you to actually step through things a little bit easier. I think the step size is work a little bit better in a scanner radio than it does in a bow radio, you're going to need at least a radio, FM receive. Yeah, FM, think about that, pretty simple. Some satellites, though, do require sideband or Morse code. So for those radios, yeah, you would need something like an ICOM receiver or, or something like that. But the cream here, the cream of the crop would be an SDR. And I love using my software defined radio with just a standard antenna on the chimney of my house to monitor satellite communications. And I've been using that antenna for a long time with my software defined radio. And I use SDR console. I'm going to tell you why I use SDR console because it's a software suite that takes care of everything for me. It downloads the Kepler data, it automatically tunes my SDR, it automatically sets up the Doppler shift. I can set it up to automatically record everything that's coming through the SDR so I can go back later and play back whatever I happen to receive or not receive in most cases. But it's really cool that one piece of software for free and a $25 receiver can do all of this for me. I go through how to set this all up, but I even have a demonstration on this in our advanced software-defined radio course for Windows which you can get over at courses.scannerschool.com. I've used SDR console to set up when the ISS passes overhead to receive SSTV images from the ISS. And SSTV is basically a way of transmitting and receiving images using a very, very slow data rate. Ridiculously slow. And the images never come out perfect because you can actually hear and see the fade on the satellite reception. It's so awesome, be able see it as you're decoding it as well. So let's talk about these Brazilian pirates now. You know, Now that we're getting close to the end of the podcast episode here. What are we talking about? Well, this is a setup from the United States government that was deployed into a geosynchronous orbit. It's the US FLT SATCOM satellite system. And the way that these satellites were built is basically it takes garbage in and spits out garbage out whatever mode whatever type of modulation scheme is used on the uplink it's the same modulation scheme that will be sent on the downlink which makes it very forward thinking and and future-proof so to speak well part of the problem is is that somebody realized that they could monitor these and somebody else also realized that hey we can discover, now that we know what the downlink frequency is, we can play around with some radios and try and figure out what the uplink frequency is. And that's exactly what they started doing. And with that, the Brazilian space pirates came into existence. And they are super easy to listen to, although I have no idea what they're saying. But there's countless articles online written about this whole big, whoop de doo that's actually happening. And how people try to stop it and everything else. So, yes, eventually the U.S. government has moved on to other satellites, but these satellites are still up there, are still in use. And relatively interesting to listen to if you understand the language. And if you don't, it's still cool to just to know that, yeah, there's people out there that are just hacking the system, so to speak. Well, where can you find these space pirates? You can listen to Roundabout, 255.55 on your scanner radio. And then, you will know, plus or minus a little bit, maybe 255, 260, 265, 245. But somewhere in that neck of the woods, you should hear, if you can hear the the satellites, and again, you would have to be in, in the uh, the Western Hemisphere. It's very, just cool, just to know that, yeah, you know, somebody got resourceful, and They are talking for free. But apparently it seems like not only is it drug trafficking, but it's also loggers and uh, truck drivers and stuff like that from being told. So, um, yeah, if that's something that's interesting to you and you can understand the language or get it uh, translated, that might be something to listen to. But for those of us that are into something that we can monitor and understand and hear, the International Space Station is something that you should try to listen to. And it's really cool even just to leave on, especially if you're in the car and you're driving. You never know when it's going to just sparkle and crackle and come to life. Well, let me back that up. You could know if you've got your data from software or websites when you could expect it. So what frequency are we looking for for the ISS downlink? 437.8 is the downlink. 437 megahertz. 437.8. Okay? Okay. And again, Doppler shift is very important on UHF. Again, the higher the frequency, the more susceptible it is to Doppler. VHF is the uplink frequency, and it really doesn't shift all that much that we have to start tuning our radios to adjust. 145.99 is the uplink. 437.8 is what we want to listen to. But if you are peaked to do SSTV and download images from the ISS, again... Go to the ariss.org website. They will tell you when the next schedule is for slow scan TV. Set your receivers up for 145.825. It's 145.825. That's also the packet frequency. But you can monitor that as well. And if it's not on that frequency, it may be on 437.8. But receiving images, satellite images, weather images, grabbing ACARs, traffic. And there's other stuff out there that we can monitor with some software, with some radios, basic antennas, and our own ears. When I say the sky is the limit, the heavens are the limit on this one. And again, we can also tune into a nature-made satellite, the moon. There are many amateur radio operators out there that enjoy using Earth Moon-Earth communications. And that is when they point an antenna at the moon and they transmit with a ton of watts and it bounces a signal off the moon and comes back and you can actually hear the delay. Yeah. How long it takes a signal to hit the moon and bounce back to you is amazing the first time you listen to it and realize, wow, I never really thought about how long it takes signals to go somewhere. Now, the chances of you hearing something from an Earth-Moon-Earth Earth contact are a little difficult. You need some some decent antennas to be able to do that. But there's also other kinds of satellite or nature-made satellites we can use here. And if you want to think about meteor scatter as being a a natured a nature-made satellite, well, yeah, I guess you could look at that way too. And that's when... Signals bounce off of meteor scatter or ionized, right? Tails, whatever from, from meteors. Doesn't happen all the time. I'm not really not that schooled in it, so I'm gonna just keep it brief here. But that's also a way of just getting signals to bounce from outer space and back to us. This is a really cool topic. I would love it if you could let me know if you've gone out to the backyard, especially now that the weather's getting nice here in the US and the northern, northern hemispheres, let me know have you ever used or listened to satellite communications? Have you tried it now that you've listened to the podcast? Jump on our Discord server, scannerschool.com slash Discord, and let me know. Join the community over there, and let's talk about some satellites. Before we wrap up this week's podcast, I want to take a minute here to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Alan Gonzalez, Arthur Altrak, Arthur Heron, Bill K, Bob Ross, Bob Middleton, Brandon Sammons, Brian King, Chris Powers, Craig Harper, Dan, Danielle Cavallella, David Dombrowski, David Pasco, David C., David Kuzneski, Danny Crotty, Dylan Hyder, Ed Walsh, Edward Bramlett, Glenn Davos, Glenn Wright, Greg Johnson, I Hate Mail, Jack Haycock, Jacques Berry, Jake Jacobson, James Broxton, James Felling, Jay Reed, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jeff McLeod, Jeff Waldrop, Jenny Taylor, Jim B., Jim Heinrich, John Kordoff, John Keel, John Sweeney, John Derby, John Goldenberg, Joshua Robb, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fall, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Lloyd R., Luke Hartnett, Mark Beebe, Michael Gorman, Michael Kroger, Michael Meadows, Mike Lopez, Mike Pilts, Nicholas Stanger, Paul Bowling, Paul Teal, Randy Young, Raymond Hill, Rich Palmary, Ronnie Box, Scott Lefgrand, Terry Wright, Thomas Giampino, Todd Glendy, and William Arcand. Find out more about Patreon and our support tiers by visiting scannerschool.com slash Patreon. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you again next week, 73.